Matthew chapter 5. If you'll forgive me today, we uh, have been studying the Sermon on the Mount last Sunday morning. Uh, I preached a different message, not on the Sermon on the Mount, and kind of departed from it for a week and uh, dealt with an issue that I felt was very, very critical uh, that we deal with and certainly needs more teaching on it and preaching on it, and that is the full sufficiency of Scripture. And uh, if you were not here for that message, I, not because uh, I preached it, but because it's a great truth that really every Christian needs to know and know well, I would encourage you to try to get that message from last week. It's on uh, our Facebook page there at the church, and uh, listen to that, and, uh, and I hope it will be a help and a blessing to us, the full sufficiency of Scripture. It has the answer to every issue in life. There's not an issue that you come across in your life that the Bible does not have the answer to. And it has the answer for everything. We're living in a day where men are saying that this book is outdated. It does not fit modern culture. Can I tell you this? Our Bible was never intended to fit any culture. Culture was intended to match the Bible and to fit after the Bible. And so uh, the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. So it doesn't matter what direction society takes. The Bible is still truth, and it is still right, and it is still the standard. I'm going to come back to Matthew chapter 5 today, but we are not going to pick up where we left off. I'm going to skip through it to another portion of it, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we will come back and, and deal with some of the previous verses in weeks to follow. But felt that the, after praying an awful lot this week on, on this matter especially, uh, just really believe that this is the message that we needed for today. And I'm not sure if it's somebody here that needs it or if I need it, but one of us do. And so hopefully it will be a help and a blessing to you. Matthew chapter number 5 And let's look in verse number 38. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 38. Ye have heard that it hath been said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not, away, turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor, and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven." For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? If ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than they uh, more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Father, once again we come to you, and for the next few moments. Lord, I pray that you will help to lay aside any distractions that would cause our hearts and our minds to drift from the truth of your word. May you allow your Holy Spirit to enable and empower the message to go forth. In spite of the messenger, Lord, may the truth be very clear and plain. And so, Father, help us today as we come to your word to have full understanding, to be able to rightly divide it. And then, Father, that we would respond to it appropriately. 
bless and teach us in, in things that you would have us to know today from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There is a, an issue that has been on my heart for some time now, and I've preached on this subject a number of times. Uh, there are certainly many other passages of Scripture that deal with uh, this particular topic, but uh, last uh, Tuesday we had our Thanksgiving service here and our, our luncheon uh, for the church, and uh, Brother Douglas brought up a, a passage of Scripture, Ephesians 4.32, and it was seemed to just strike a nerve in my heart because I had been really, really uh, praying about and, and focusing on the subject of uh, how we treat people that do us wrong. How do we respond? And I would say this, that I think we need to respond and not react. Uh, a response is something we do because we know some truth, and this is the way we're supposed to uh, deal with it. A reaction is something that is strictly emotional. We just... Uh, whatever uh, the, the feeling is at the moment, uh, we try to do. But the truth is, if you have never been hurt by someone, if someone has never wrongfully used you, then you rest assured it's coming. It's going to happen. I would say this, that I, I would be pretty certain in a room this size and with this many people here, I doubt very seriously that there is anyone here that has not been hurt or misused, or mishandled by someone in the past. And as God's child, as someone who names the name of Christ, and has put our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who gives out a testimony to this world that I love the Lord with all of my heart, that I'm trusting Him for my salvation. He is my God, and I am His child. For those of us that have that testimony to the world, it is important that we understand and know what God's desire is about our actions and how we live in this world. Our testimony is very critical because it doesn't just hurt us when we fail in our testimony. It hurts the cause of Christ. It's very, very important that we know these things. I'm going to come back to Matthew chapter number 5, and we're going to finish our message with what we began with, and that is Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48. Uh, but I want us to look at a number of passages of Scripture first and foremost this morning and uh, to try to get a gist or an idea, uh, uh, get a sense of what is God's heart regarding this issue of how we are supposed to react or how we are supposed to respond, if you will, to those that have done us wrong. Look with me first of all to, uh, let's go to Ephesians chapter number 4. And I want to I want to read this one. When I was... A youth pastor, um, occasionally, not very often, but occasionally, just only every activity we ever did, uh, <laughs> we would have some teenagers that would get ruffled at some other teenagers. You know, and teenagers, I don't know if you realize this or not, are not quite as mature as they hope that they are, uh, not quite as mature as we hope that they would be. Uh, and so they tend to get upset at each other. And as a youth pastor, when they would begin to argue or fight or have a problem in the bus, we began to sing this verse, Ephesians 4.32. Uh, the Bible says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. These are difficult words because Jesus even spoke of it in His Sermon on the Mount. He said, uh, it, you have heard that it has been said. In other words, this is, the, this is the general consensus of the world. 
that it is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If somebody does me wrong, I'm going to get even, or better yet, I'm going to get ahead. And I mean, they are going to pay for what they did to me. That is what we hear all over the world that we live in today. But Jesus turns that that saying upon its head. He says it's the exact opposite of this. And when we read Ephesians 4.32, and the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, understand that Paul did not write his letters because of the way Paul felt about an issue. Paul wrote his letters because every single word of it, the Holy Spirit dictated to him and gave him. And so when we speak of Paul's writings, don't look at it as, well, this was just Paul's opinion. I was listening to a, a thing this week, and a fellow came back to some, some verses that Paul had written. And he said, well, that was, that was Paul, who was, uh, who was a wealthy man and, and an affluent man. Uh, and uh, and he, he had certain uh, uh, privileges that were afforded him, and so he's writing from that basis. Can I tell you this? The Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's not because of that. And, and Peter wrote of this. He said, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God. They, they did not write of their own accord. So when Paul writes these things, we can rest assured, this isn't just Paul's suggestion to the church at Ephesus. This is God's giving instruction to them. I'll tell you this, there are times in my life where I, I wish that, that God would just be able to, to send me a letter in the mail or, or give me something uh, in my hand or, or speak to me audibly and say, Greg, this is the decision you ought to make. And we long for that. But the truth is, He's already given us His will in every matter that concerns our life. The failure in making right decisions is not in God revealing His will to us in that decision, but in us failing to read about His will and to understand it through the illumination of it from the Holy Spirit of God. And so we find here as we get to uh, chapter 4 and verse number 32 that this isn't just Paul speaking, this is God speaking. And He says for us to be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And then He goes on to put kind of a thrust to it. Even as God for Christ's sake, have forgiven you. Now, let me ask you a question. When God forgave you and I, did we deserve it? No. Did we have the, the, the right to come to God and say, you owe it to me to forgive me? No. He did it for whose sake? He did it for Christ's sake. Because of what Christ did on Calvary, God can give you and I forgiveness. Isn't that a wonderful truth? By the way, Understand this, God is telling us that we are to forgive one another, that we are to be kind one to another, that we are to be tender-hearted and forgiving one another the same way that God is able to forgive us through Christ and for His sake, we are to forgive one another. You say, but they don't deserve my forgiveness, Pastor. Neither did I. We don't do it because they deserve it. We do it for Christ's sake. We do it because the Lord Jesus Christ forgave us. This is the, the will of God. This is the mindset of God. Now, hold your place in, in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to come back to it. And let's look also in the book of Colossians chapter number 3. Colossians chapter... I love this book, uh, this particular chapter uh, no, uh, specifically. <coughs> it is a parallel chapter to Ephesians chapter 5 and 6. 
and uh, really is dealing with a lot of the same things. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And uh, then we find... Uh, and, and, and then we find some, some things that are the result of that. In chapter 3, we find that we're also to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly in all wisdom, and we find those same attributes that are produced from that. And can I tell you this this morning, and this isn't the message, but it's a wonderful truth. The filling of the Spirit of God cannot happen without letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly with all wisdom. Neither can the Word of Christ dwell in us richly with all wisdom without the filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. They are one and the same. They are the two sides of the same coin and cannot be divorced from one another. They result in the exact same things. Speaking to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing in our hearts to the Lord, giving thanks and submitting ourselves one to another. These are the marks of abiding and letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly with all wisdom. The fact that we are submitted one to another, husbands and wives, husbands submitted to Christ, wives submitted to husbands, children submitted to parents, servants submitted to their masters. Why? For Christ's sake. Look with me in Colossians chapter number 3. We're going to read a number of verses, and I'd like for you to follow along if you have a Bible. If you don't have one, we have some red ones in the pews there. You're welcome to use one of those. Colossians chapter number 3. And let's look in verse number 1. If ye then be risen with Christ. Now, who's he speaking to here? He's speaking to Christians, isn't he? He's speaking to those of us that are saved. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. So we want our minds set on heavenly things, on the things of the Lord. Set your affection, notice he says, verse number 2, on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life... Now, wait a minute. In verse 3, he said, we were dead. We are dead to ourself, our will, our flesh nature. And it ought to be crucified. It ought to be brought into subjection every single day. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things' sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them, but now ye are put off, ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man and with his deeds, and have put on the new man which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of Him that created Him. So, understand where we're at here. He's writing to Christians. He said, you were in times past. You were walking according to these things. He said, you're no longer doing that. You're dead to those things. You're now going to walk in the newness of life, which comes in verse number 10, and put on and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of Him that created Him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, 
barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, because of this, we are no longer following the flesh. What was the flesh? Verse number 7 and 8. In which you walked sometime, you lived in them, but now also put you off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lying. All of those things were the deeds of the old man. Now notice he says here in verse number 12, and Paul is a good, a good person to do this. He lays the foundation, he gives the evidence, and draws the conclusion. And in verse number 12 he says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved. If we want to be the type of Christian that we're supposed to be, holy in our lives, which, by the way, it is God's will, no matter what society says, can I help you this morning, it is God's will for His children to live holy. There's a lot of people out here saying, well, God just loves you the way you are. He does, and I'm thankful for that. I heard a man say this week, well, Jesus went and ate with publicans and sinners. <clears throat> you take a moment to read the passage. You know why he went to eat with publicans and sinners? He said, because the whole hath no need of a physician. But those that were not whole had need of a physician. What does a physician do? He cures them for what ails them. He ate with publicans and sinners not to condone or to show his acceptance of their lifestyle. He ate with publicans and sinners to change them from their sinful nature. We must understand Scripture and rightly divide it and not take it out of its context. And so we are to put on, as, as those that have been saved, holy and beloved. I, I don't know about you, but I, I want God to look down... And say, not only is he, is he saved, and not only am I saving him because of what Christ has done, but oh, I'm well pleased with the way he's living. I'm well pleased with the way that he is living. A diligence to seek after God's holiness and his godliness. Now notice what Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What does he say is the result of this holy and beloved living? Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of what? Mercies. What is mercy? Not giving somebody what they deserve. Well, pastor, you don't know what they did to me. Show them mercy. Kindness. Do we see that? Humbleness of mind. Meekness. Look at this one. Long-suffering, forbearing one another. What does it mean to forbear one another? To put up with them. It doesn't mean to condone. In other passages, we are told to help restore a brother that is overtaken in a fault. It doesn't mean to condone. But it does not mean that we are to get them back and to show them vengeance for what they're doing. Reprove them, yes. Rebuke them from Scripture, yes, but with kindness. With a heart that has forgiven them and loves them. Notice it says this, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against, quarrel against any, even as Christ what forgave you, so also do ye. 
So I am instructed that I am to forgive the same way that Christ forgave me. Did I deserve it? No. Did I have the right to demand Him to forgive me? No. He did it for Christ's sake. And above all these, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to be sinless. This is just speaking of maturity in the Christian life. Charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And notice this, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be thankful. He then goes on to say, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns, uh, songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he's speaking here of the effects of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Within the context of the passage, if we fail to do what, what, what the, the Bible tells us here in verse number 12, that we are to put... Uh, therefore, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, all these things, these bowels of mercies, the kindness, the humility of mind, the meekness, the long-suffering, the forbearance of one another, the forgiveness of one another, that these things are things that are hindrances to being filled or led by the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. We cannot follow after God when we hold resentment we have anger at those that have misused us. You say, well, I don't know about that, Pastor. I mean, it's just that's a hard subject to deal with. Well, let's, let's see what the Bible has to say about it, all right? Let's, let's look at Matthew chapter number 18. Matthew chapter number 18. Matthew chapter 18, Peter was very proud of himself. He was excited about this possibility. He had learned some things under the ministry of Christ. He had grown. The custom of the day was that they were to forgive someone three times. And look with me in verse number 21. And then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. Till seven times. And you can almost hear... The, the, the glee in Peter's life. You know when you're a little kid and you think that you're helping mom and dad paint the living room by using that permanent marker and scribbling all on it and you come to them so excited. Boy, mom and dad, look what I did for you. Only to be crushed and realize that you didn't quite reach the objective you were shooting for. I think that's the same kind of feeling Peter has here. He really thinks... Well, I've done something that, that God's going to be, that Christ is going to be proud of me about. He said, Jesus answered in verse number 22, He said, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. He then gives a parable of a servant who owed a master a great, great sum of money. And the master was going to put him in debtor's prison. And he went to the master and said, Have mercy on me, I will repay it. And the master said, You know what, I'll forgive it. The man who had been forgiven then had a servant under him who owed him just a small little bit. And he went to the man and he said, I need you to pay me that small little bit. 
And the man said, I can't do it. He said, bear with me and I'll pay you back. And that man who had been forgiven so much by his master said, I'm not going to forgive that small debt. And he cast him into the prison. The master who had forgiven the man a great debt learned about it. He repented of the decision he made and he held the man accountable and said he was wicked for it. This is the story that Christ tells to lay alongside the truth he was teaching that we don't forgive seventy times or seven times. We forgive seventy times seven. That doesn't mean four hundred and ninety times, by the way. It's it's some terminology Christ uses to express to us that we continue to forgive him. Notice with me if you look back to the beginning as we read in verse number twenty one. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? How oft should my brother sin against me and I forgive him? I've heard people say, well, you know, first time I'll forgive him. Second time I'll forgive him. Third time, that's three strikes. They're out. They're done. According to the Lord, we're to forgive every single time. Every time that they come and say, I'm sorry. We're to forgive them every single time. Every time. After all, how often does Christ forgive us? You say, well, He forgave me the day I got saved for all my sin. And I'm thankful for that. But the Bible tells us that if we confess our sin, He's faithful just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the verse that speaks of that is not speaking of salvation, but it is speaking of our restoration of our fellowship with Him. That even though we have been forgiven of our sin for our eternal security in our home in heaven, that there are times we still need to come to Him and say, Lord, forgive me of this. It has driven a wedge in our relationship, our fellowship one with another. We need to get it right. How often does Christ forgive us of those things? We were studying the book of Malachi this morning in Sunday school. As we ended the book, uh, the the Old Testament, uh, we've now done a survey of the whole Old Testament. We found over and over and over again that Israel, the northern kingdom, and the southern kingdom of Judah have uh, had small bouts of revival. They've turned to Christ, and then they, they fall away from Him, and they have hardened hearts. God brings chastening back and forth, but every single time He gives them an opportunity to come back to Him. He says, if you'll just come back to Me. <clears throat> Today we learned of how, <clears throat> how far... Judah had gotten in their mindset to the point where God asks them all these questions about despising His name and, and how they had broken their covenant with Him. And they, they responded by saying, we don't think it's that big a deal. How, how have we done this? We don't think it's that much. They really didn't see that it was a big deal that these things were happening. And if I were God, I would have looked at that and said, well, I'm going to bring great judgment to you. But even in the midst of it, While he did warn of upcoming judgment that would come, he still said, but if you'll come back to me, if you'll humble your hearts and repent, I'll extend that grace to you still. What an amazing God that we serve. Oh, that we could be like Him. That we could be like Him. Look with me, if you will, in Psalm 119. Psalm 119. 
So often we say, well, pastor, that's good, but you don't know what that person did to me. It's just, it's beyond what I can take. Psalm 119, and let's look in verse number 165. The psalmist writes this, Great peace have they, which what? Which what? Great peace have they, which what? Love thy law. Our hearts love the law of God. We love to to seek after that holiness. We long to be like Him. We long to learn who He is so we can be more like Him. We seek after this law. We, We long for it. Great peace have they which love thy law and a few things. Is that what your Bible says? No, mine doesn't either. And what does it say here? Great peace have they which love thy law and what? Nothing. Nothing. You know how much nothing is? In the Greek, it means nothing. Nothing shall what? Offend them. Why? Because we're willing to forgive. Did it hurt? Oh, yes, it hurt. But I'm not going to hold that over them. Look with me in Acts chapter number 7. You say, well, that, that's, I don't think that's what the Bible is teaching at all. I, I, I think you've, you've taken it too far, Pastor. Let's, let's look and see. All right? Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter number 7, we have a, a, a deacon. And uh, he is a godly man, a spiritual man. He's a man who the power of the Holy Spirit is resting upon him. And he is, he is preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. His name is Stephen. He preaches in verse number 51, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. I mean, he's pretty well not beating around the bush here. He's preaching to them. He's telling them they need to repent. They need to get things right. Look with me in verse number 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. By the way, doesn't that sound like a lot of people in the world today? When the truth of God points to the nerve in their life, their, their, their response is, I don't like this. Their response is, and, and those that were unsaved, the Bible says that they, they were cut to the heart. By the way, the truth of God's Word ought to cut to the heart. The Word of God is quick, the Bible says, and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This book ought to cut us to the quick in our hearts. It's what we expect from it when we come to its pages. We call it the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. And we are to respond by yielding our will in the matter and saying, Lord, I'm going to get that right. But many do not. Many hear it, they're cut to the heart, and do as these folks did. Notice what this says. It says, they were cut to the heart and gnashed on him with their teeth. I mean, this is violence here. This is, uh, you know, they're, they're angry at this point at Stephen. Not because of Stephen's opinion on something but because of the truth that Stephen is preaching. 
But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. Talk about maturity. You ever have a kid, la, 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 I'm not listening, la, 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 and do like that? This is what these people are doing. They stop their ears. They don't want to hear it. They're gnashing on them with their teeth. They cannot tolerate the truth. And the Bible says that they ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. As he's getting there and he's he's kneeling there and these people are stoning him, can you get the picture? He's not lashing out at them. He's not angry at them. He's not saying, you folks, are you're going to pay for this. Boy, if I ever get out of here, I'm going to let you have it. That's not what Stephen is doing. What is he doing? I mean, these people, they've, they've gnashed on him with their teeth. That's humiliating enough. They're stopping their ears. They're running on him with one accord. They stone him. And what does Stephen do? He looks up into heaven, the Bible says, and he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice. Now, I want you to notice as he calls down vengeance and judgment on these people for what they have done to him. Is that what he does? What does he do? Look what it says. He kneeled down and cried with a loud voice. I can only give you my opinion on this, and this is opinion. I believe the reason he cried with a loud voice was not that he didn't think God could hear him. He wanted to make sure every person there heard what he said. For testimony's sake. As he says, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Folks, I'll tell you this. I've had some people hurt me in my life. I've never yet had someone stone me for what I stood for. And if the grace of God can rest upon Stephen in such a way, if his peace that stemmed from a heart of forgiveness, this great peace that he had because he loved the law of the Lord. Because he was preaching the gospel message. He said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Can I tell you, that takes an awful lot of grace. I'll tell you this, it takes a lot more grace than this pastor has sometimes. And it takes a lot more mercy. It takes a lot more swallowing of our pride and ego than most of us have at this point. But it is the will of God. It is His heart. Look in Luke chapter number 22, or 23, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter number 23, 
Let's look in verse number 33. Jesus at this point has been mocked and ridiculed. He's been beaten. His beard has been plucked. They've plaited a crown of thorns upon his head and driven them into his skull. He suffered unbelievable humiliation and pain. We would call it persecution. The Bible says in verse number 33, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified Him. The malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, then said Jesus, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. This prayer is not a prayer for His Father to forgive the sins of those that would trust Him. This prayer was a prayer to His Father to forgive those that at that moment in time were doing Him the harm and the wrong. Father, forgive them. It wasn't enough for the Lord Jesus to teach and to train His disciples to be forgiving if He never lived it. If He didn't follow His own teaching. And here at the very end, as He has endured such suffering that men could never even understand fully, I don't know, He says, Father, forgive them. After the death of Stephen, there was a lot of martyrdom taking place. Uh, King Agrippa began to, to persecute the Christians, and uh, he realized that this was pleasing to some people. And there was a man uh, named Clemens uh, Alexandrinus, I think is the way you pronounce the last name, uh, he uh, was an accuser of James. This is the James that was the brother of John and the son of Zebedee. He was an accuser of James. <clears throat> he brought uh, accusation against him and was responsible for James being arrested. And because of the way James responded throughout, the very man that had hated him and had accused him saw the example of his testimony and was brought to repent of his own actions of turning in James. He knelt down at James's feet, according to the historians, and asked for James to pardon him and profess that he himself had become a Christian because of the testimony. As a result, they beheaded this man, Clement, alongside of James, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee. Because James expressed grace to the one who had done him wrong. I don't know, I would like to think if I were in James's shoes, I would be able to have the same grace that he had toward this man 
But I'll be real frank with you, I don't know that I could. But it certainly is what God desires. In the early 1500s, there was a man by the name of Lord Herent. He was accused of being a Christian, and in that day it was against the law to have a different belief other than the state church, the Catholic church at that time. He was condemned to be hung and killed for his beliefs. And as he was led to the scaffold, he said, I have traveled through many countries and traversed various nations and have never found so much cruelty as at home. He said, I have escaped innumerable perils at sea and at land and surmounted inconceivable difficulties to suffer innocently in my native place. My blood is likewise sought by those for whom I and my forefathers have hazarded our estates. In other words, he said, we've sacrificed for the very ones that have accused us. But he said this, he said, but Almighty God, forgive them. He then went to the block and kneeled down and exclaimed with great energy, Into thy hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. In thee have I always trusted. Receive me, therefore, my blessed Redeemer. And the fatal stroke was then given. A man who on his knees said, Lord, I want you to forgive him. In Scotland in 1546, a man by the name of George Wishart, after examined... Uh, being examined of his faith, was sentenced to die. And on the morning of his execution, there were two friars that came from the cardinal, one of whom put him in a black linen coat, and the other brought several bags of gunpowder, which they tied about different parts of his body. As soon as he arrived at the stake, the executioner put a rope around his neck and a chain about his middle, upon which he fell on his knees and thus exclaimed, O thou Savior of the world! Father of heaven, I commend my spirit into thy holy hands. After this, he prayed for his accusers, saying, I beseech thee, Father of heaven, forgive them that have from ignorance or an evil mind forged lies of me. I forgive them with all my heart. I beseech Christ to forgive them that they have ignorantly condemned me. Can I say this? I don't think there's one of us sitting here today that have gone through as many of the atrocities that these men have. How can we say, I cannot forgive? When we look at our precious Savior, who was crucified, falsely accused, people despised Him, they rejected Him, they spoke evil against Him. And yet he said, Father, forgive them. Can I tell you, none of us have suffered to this level. How as is, how is God's people are we able to say, I cannot forgive that person? Now let's go back to Matthew 5 and we'll have our message. Matthew chapter number 5. Jesus, again, teaching His disciples... The teachings that He gives here are not for the faint of heart. These are for men and women and children that are willing to follow Christ regardless of the cost. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 44. 
back up to verse 43 for a moment. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you. In other words, don't listen to what man says. I, the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, I'm going to tell you something else. And this is what I'm going to tell you. Notice what he says. But I say unto you, love your enemies. There's four things he's going to tell us to do here. Love your enemies. It doesn't say you have to love what they've done to you. But there needs to be a love for them. These men that I've read examples of, including our Lord Jesus Christ, when they prayed for God to forgive those that were doing them wrong, it was because of their compassion and love for the soul of that person. We're to love our enemies. You say, well, I don't like what they did to me. You don't have to. But you have to love them. What else does he tell his disciples in verse 44? He says, love your enemies. Notice he says, secondly, bless them that curse you. Bless them that curse you. It's hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to do. There's an awful lot of pride that has to be swallowed to be able to do that. There's a lot, of, a lot of the flesh nature, the wrath, the strife, the vengeance, the anger, the malice. All of that has to be put aside. All of that has to be crucified for us to be able to be obedient to what Christ has said here. To bless them that curse you. Notice what else he says here. Number three, do good to them that hate you. I've taught my kids for a long time when they've come home and somebody's mistreated them, somebody's been ugly to them, maybe bullied them a little bit. If they were here today and I were to put them on the spot and say, what does Dad tell you to do in that case? You know what they would say? Buy them a card and a candy bar and tell them you're praying for them. They've heard that since they were little kids. Well, Dad, you don't understand. Oh, yes, I do been there. If we had a show of hands today, I guarantee you most of us could say, been there. Somebody's done us wrong. Somebody's hurt us. Somebody is vengeful and doesn't like us. Somebody's out to get me. What, is I, what am I supposed to do? The Bible says here, verse number 44, and this isn't Brother Greg's idea. This is God speaking. He says, do good. To them that hate you. Do good to them that hate you. And then I want you to notice the fourth thing. Pray for them which despitefully use you. And notice this word, persecute you. I tell you this, none of us sitting here today even have a, an inkling of an idea of it by way of experience what it is like to be persecuted. We've never suffered that. We've, we've had some ridicule. We've had some people maybe that have talked bad at us, maybe have mistreated us, have done us wrong. But the truth is, none of us have truly been persecuted. 
I've not yet been drugged to the, to the stake with bags of gunpowder tied around me. I have not yet been drugged outside the city limits and stoned. I have not been persecuted. And the truth is, if these men and Christ Himself can have the grace towards their enemies, towards them which were so despitefully using them, those that were creating even harm to them, it is but a little matter, is it not, for you and I to say, I forgive you. I forgive you. If we could learn this truth, we'd we'd do a lot better in the area of bitterness in our life. We'd do a lot better with holding grudges. We'd do a lot better showing Christ by way of our testimony. Not only to the world, but to the One who has done us wrong. I think it ought to be the goal of our hearts and our lives that we do as Stephen did and cry with a loud voice. I want to make sure that the person who did me wrong knows. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. I want to make sure they know that forgiveness has taken place, that grace has been extended. Out of all the Christian graces that you and I are supposed to have in our life, this is probably one of the most neglected and least understood and least practiced. And yet it is God's will. There are times that we're to stand up for truth. There are times that we're to reprove and to rebuke. But it should never be with wrath and anger in our hearts. We need to learn to be forgiving. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. There may be some folks sitting here today that have held some things against someone, maybe a family member, maybe a friend. And to be real frank with you, do us really good to go home this afternoon, get a hold of that person. Say, I have felt this way for a long time. But I want to let you know I forgive it. I'm letting it go. I'm extending grace. We need to learn to practice these four things that Christ is teaching His disciples. He's training them in some things that are hard to do. He's teaching them to do some things that are going to cost them. but it's what it takes to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, I pray that You would bless the message and, Lord, speak to hearts, move in a way that the truth will sink in. May there be many here today that have heard what Your Word has to say on the subject. Lord, these are not my opinions. These are not my thoughts. I'm as, I'm as human and as fleshly as anyone else.